Engaging Leader, Episode 202, Overcome the Invisible Barriers Holding Women Back at Work, featuring Michelle King, Netflix's Director of Inclusion. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. I'm very excited to introduce to you a brand new book that I think is going to be so important to make a big splash in the world. You know, typically when I read about inequality, I get angry on behalf of the people who are harmed. When reading this book, however, I felt inspired, excited, and hopeful as in, hey, maybe there is hope and maybe I can help. You know, it's no secret that in recent years and decades, most companies have been trying to advance the representation of women and minorities in leadership positions. For example, most organizations have diversity recruitment targets as well as diversity and inclusion programs, including initiatives like mentoring, networking groups, and unconscious bias training. But despite these efforts, women account for only 4.6% of Fortune 500 CEOs, 8% of top earners, and 17% of Fortune 500 board seats. In fact, only 43% of HR executives think these approaches are effective at all. This new book by Michelle King, who is a PhD and the Director of Inclusion at Netflix, tackles the question of what needs to change to help women not only advance, but also thrive at work. And among the surprising findings is that making the workplace changes she recommends will not only help more women and minorities succeed at work, they will also help more men advance and thrive as well. Michelle is a leading global expert in gender and organizations. Before joining Netflix, she was head of the UN Women's Global Innovation Coalition for Change. She's host of The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories, challenges, and triumphs of women across innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. And her book is The Fix, Overcome the Invisible Barriers That Are Holding Women Back at Work. Michelle King, welcome to The Engaging Leader. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Michelle, you recently joined Netflix as the Director of Inclusion after several years at UN Women. Why was that the right next step for you in your life's work? Yeah, so my role at UN Women was sort of overseeing our work in innovation and tech. Um, I worked with a number of private sector partners, everybody from LinkedIn to Facebook to GE. And we really looked at sort of industry-wide how we can tackle gender inequality and what sort of programs we can put in place to try and, um, you know, remove some of the barriers women and girls face uh, in the industry. And so we had some incredible initiatives that came out of that. And um, it really just made sense in terms of my next step to pick an organization and, and try and sort of, you know, implement some of that learning that I sort of received through my PhD and work on the book, you know, into an organization. So that's really, you know, what the thinking was in terms of why the role, um, but specifically Netflix, because, you know, the organization has an incredible culture. And I saw it as a great opportunity to be able to apply some of this work. You know, often in the diversity inclusion space, you have to convince companies to listen to you, whereas, you know, Netflix is sort of leading the way in this um, in a lot of respects in terms of being super open to it and and really keen to apply a lot of it. So I 
again, just saw it as an opportunity to partner with an incredible organization and apply some of what I um, had learned and, you know, was currently doing at the UN. There's been a lot of discussion around gender equality at work and what women can do to help themselves. But you argue we need to stop trying to fix women and start fixing workplaces. What's wrong with the current approach? Yeah, so current approaches, you know, um, I think are really the, the solutions tell you a lot about what people think the problem are. So if you if you look at sort of how we're approaching inequality to date, um, and and I was part of this, so from a range of DNI initiatives, you have mentoring, you have sort of networking, you have leadership development programs, you have initiatives to try and help women speak up more and negotiate more, and there's just a range of, of programs out there, and all of them center around this idea that somehow if we tweak women or fix women they'll be able to fit into the system a bit better, right? So if women do a bit more, you know, change how they approach things, they'll be able to work within organizations in advance. And that's simply not the case. You know, Lean In came out um, 10 years ago now. And the message based on that book was very much this line of thinking. And, and I bought into it, you know, so when the book first came out, I was like, oh, this is great. Um, but it wasn't until I started looking at the academic research that's been in, in the space around women in organizations for the last sort of 20, 30 years, that I really started to see, hey, actually, you know, these issues have been around forever. They're not going away and no amount of fixing women is going to solve this. I mean, we even saw in the 90s with power dressing, right? Like women are literally changing how they look <laughs> to try and fit into the system. And it occurred to me in the literature um, that actually maybe it's the system that needs fixing. So that's why I started looking. But I only started looking there when I found research that showed how truly remarkable women were. And a lot of that surprised me. So typical things like networking, you know, you, it's one of the things we know so well, right? Networking comes up all the time. Women are not great networkers. They need to network more. That's why they're not receiving the career opportunities. And that's simply not the case. I found study after study that shows men and women rate women as higher in terms of their networking ability. It's not that women can't network. It's that networks don't work in the same way for women and men. So, you know, even if women network, they're unlikely to receive the same benefit because men aren't supporting them in the same way. And so understanding how that works and solving for that is much more effective than sort of sending women on another networking course. Um, and I think, you know, I just really struggle that sort of collective problems that we all have a hand in creating, we're putting down to individuals to try and solve, you know, no amount of me trying to tackle inequality on my own is ever going to solve it unless my organization's on board and they're, they're playing a hand in that too. So I don't ever try and ask women to do anything that I wouldn't, wouldn't get men to do. Well, speaking of getting men to do, <laughs> a lot of the, your book, in addition to providing business case for inclusion and equality at work, talks about and, and how it's so beneficial to organizations and their bottom line to do so, which makes total sense and has for a long time. Uh, I was really caught by surprise at your arguments about how good, it, much better it can be for men if there was greater equality at work. Can you tell us about that? In other words, it's a win-win for men and women. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm married to a white middle class, um, what I refer to in my book as the Don Draper prototype. So I'm actually <laughs> married to that. And my husband would be the first to admit that he never signed up to become a feminist, um, probably <laughs> wouldn't have described himself as a feminist. And so he's gone on this feminism journey with me. Um, and I've educated him along the way. And I'm tell the story through some of his eyes, you know, and seeing the challenges that he faces at work. And I have a very real example of when this hit home for me, when my son was sick 
and I was leaving to go to work at the UN and my I'll never forget my husband turned around and he said and he was really panicked he had sort of this white faced look and he was like Michelle you know what am I going to tell my boss and he was help, trying to get me enroll me in in lying basically and I was so confused <laughs> and I, I didn't understand and I kind of got irritated I was like what do you mean and he's like well I can't tell him that I'm taking our son to the doctor and it was at that moment when I was like oh wow you know you're somebody who succeeded based on the system you're the prototype you know not necessarily in always in terms of the negative behaviors, but certainly in terms of a lot, he aligns himself with the prototype, the system works for him. So he doesn't understand how it doesn't always work for everybody else in the same way. And yet here he was struggling with a very basic human need of being able to be honest. And he was saying, I just can't tell my boss that because I'll be seen as kind of a less than. And so I did, I put my bag down. I rang my boss, told her I was going to be late. And I sat down with my husband and, and literally schooled him on, hey, this is why this matters. Because when you don't speak up, it makes it harder for me to speak up. And if you think it's hard and you fit the prototype and you're succeeding in this organization, imagine how much harder it is for other women. And so, you know, that started my journey of becoming aware that we think we can solve inequality by speaking to women. But actually, most of our work actually lies with men. And so, you know, an author that I always talk about is Liz Plank. She wrote a book, For the Love of Men. And it purely focuses on, on on this idea that, you know, the current system doesn't work for men. And she looks at it more holistically. You know, I specifically focus on workplaces. But it is interesting in my work and researching the barriers women face, I made the assumption most of us do that the system works for men and it just doesn't. So things like, you know, um, one of the ways that men best align with this ideal standard in organizations that is masculine in order to be seen as a leader is through silence, is through bullying, is through denying sort of their existence, their lives outside of home, is through engaging in exclusionary behaviors or remaining silent when male colleagues kind of engage in some sexist banter, even if it's just joking or so men have a really hard time because they can't speak about any of this stuff, but they're experiencing it as much as women. And, you know, some studies have found that in environments that are unequal, men dislike them just as much as women, but they feel like they, they can't really speak up as much. And so that's the challenge is, I think, unpacking male silence because, you know, silence is a form of being complicit in, in the system. And so I think it's how do we, how do we first call it out to simply just make men aware of, of the challenges this creates for them. You know, it's very hard for them to develop identities outside of work. They have to live up to the breadwinner image. They have to engage in behaviors that really only like work for a very small percentage of the population. And they have to do all of that to access leadership opportunities, just like women do. Um, but that creates a lot of challenges for men. And increasingly so as we're seeing men wanting lives outside of work, they want to be, you know, dads are a bit more hands-on they want that life but you're penalized when you do it so it's how do you create an environment where men can be themselves and you know I think the biggest thing men can start to do is just speaking up like it's such a simple thing but it is you know if you have to take your son to the doctor letting everybody in the office know that you're doing that and starting to speak up because that's the way you make it easier for everybody else to and particularly leaders like I hate putting that on sort of individuals I think for leaders that's you know male leaders like the number one thing they can do is start talking about their lives outside of work and giving people the freedom to kind of show up differently, I think that's a really important action. One of the things you talk about it being important to speak about at work uh, is the gender denial, and that denying that is the greatest barrier to women's advancement at work. Can you tell us about that and how we can overcome it? So I was fascinated by this, and I'm still fascinated by it, because so I would sit in my PhD interviews with senior leaders, right, in two different organizations, two different countries. So nothing in common, right? Completely different organizations. 
and and some women, but mostly men. And I would say, hey, you know, why do you think we've got so few women in leadership? Like, what are some of the barriers you think women face, or why is it, you know, that that this is happening? And leaders would consistently say to me, Michelle, you know, our workplace is a meritocracy. Women don't face any additional barriers. Um, we treat everybody the same. So everybody in effect is the same. And this was really odd. Like these are workplaces where I think across the board, they had about 8% of women in leadership positions. So, you know, when I would bring that up, I would then be met with the same rhetoric of it's a meritocracy. And I just, I I found it really hard to understand this denial. Um, And it was consistent. So it was consistent in both data sets. And so when I went back into the literature to try and understand what was happening, and I was super frustrated because I was hoping they'd be like, these are the barriers. And so it'd be really clear. Um, I realized that this is actually the biggest barrier. So the biggest barrier is actually the denial, this belief that workplaces are meritocracies. You know, the biggest message in my book is that, hey, success discriminates. And success discriminates because work environments were never designed for difference. They were never designed, you know, when we originally started organizations back in like, when Henry Ford was first coming up with how workplaces should work and what it takes to lead and what a manager's role is, that original thinking, you know, Taylorism, some of those initial ideas, it was designed for men. It was a workplace designed for white middle-class men and was a very white workplace with, with that kind of logic behind it. So workplaces were never created with women in mind. And we know that because you see sort of maternity policies today sort of plastered on top like an afterthought, just like women are, right? Like, oh, we're just going <laughs> to plaster on this policy or this flexible work scheme into a system that actually doesn't facilitate that. So you can have all the policies in the world, but if leaders aren't taking flexible work, nobody else is going to because people want to lead one day and, and so they're copying what leaders do. So I think, you know, a lot of it really kind of centers on on that idea of thinking through how our workplaces don't work for everybody in the same way and disrupting our denial around that. And, you know, I've been struggling a lot with this recently in my own work um, because there's this bias towards action. So when people read my book, they want the, Michelle, what are the five things I can go away and do, <laughs> right? And the thing about denial is what, and particularly in Western cultures, we have a hard time with this, is that the work is awareness. Like that's my message to people. Your work is awareness. So your work is becoming aware of how things don't work in the same way for everybody. Because once you're aware, you can sort of deepen your understanding and start thinking about how you can make it a practice when situations show up. There's no action list I can give you that's going to prepare you for every single situation in your environment. But when a colleague comments on, you know, women's appearance or women's body, or when a colleague makes a racist comment or borderline, and sometimes they're subtle, right? Like modern sexism, this idea, it's a lot more subtle it's a lot more covert it's in those moments that if you don't have the awareness it's much harder to recognize those things for what they are and then it's much harder to speak up or take action the actions are really simple nine times out of ten it's calling it out or taking action or advocating for somebody but it's i think the awareness bit and people struggle with that because that's the work and so you know we all have an obligation to disrupt our own denial i had to disrupt it when it comes to women of color and i've also had to disrupt it when it comes to men and understanding the challenges we all face. But I think each of us has our work to do in, in understanding that. You know, you say, well, it's really e- it's that the, the, the answers or steps are really easy. Um, you create awareness and then you speak up when you see it. But it, it uh, I guess um, I, I can just think of all the things that can go wrong when you try to speak up. <laughs> where do you turn, where does a person turn to get, like even just how would you, Say if you see some, let's say, sexual harassment happening, 
Or someone makes, especially one of those subtler comments that, you know, you could call them on it and then they're like, well, I was just joking. And how do you say things like that in a way that is maybe gentle and assuming good intent and, and can influence them to make the right choices going forward? Yeah, so I, I don't mean to, um, for, for people who are listening to this, I don't mean to come across in the way that's, you know, dismissive of how hard this work is. It is hard, right? So I think what what I mean is easy is when you, the hardest bit is actually the awareness bit. So once you have some of the awareness, for example, I know through my work and through the book that for black women in particular, there's an angry black woman stereotype, right? So when leaders say, hey, you need to speak up more in meetings or, hey, you need to do this, I can protect my colleague by saying, well, it's not that easy for her. And here's why, because of this. So I think the awareness somehow informs the action. And I think the awareness is easy because that's work you do on your own. So there's this tendency to want people to kind of spoon feed us our education. Um, selfishly, my book is a great place to start with that. So reading the book kind of disrupted it out and you start to learn about the barriers and you create that understanding. I think the action is really when it comes to speaking up, um, you know, we're really asking people to practice allyship. So that means, you know, making awareness kind of an ongoing process, making it your job to learn about the barriers. Those are two big things you have to do to earn your seat as at the table of allyship, right? You have to kind of demonstrate you're making that commitment. But once you've done that, the speaking up it is in, in very real examples. It's, it's as simple as calling out the barriers when it happens. So for example, my husband was in a meeting with a colleague and one of the his, his colleagues mentioned a woman's sort of physical, her breasts, you know, he was talking about the size of her breasts. I can barely say it because it makes me so mad. It, and, yeah, um, makes cringe. and my husband just turned to him and he said in the moment, hey, that's not cool. And he got up and left and he came home and he goes, do you think that was the right thing to do? And in that moment, I said to him, you reset the norms because just by saying it's not cool, you reset the norms within that guy's mind around what's acceptable and what's not. He might not go, you know, he, he might never change, but you disrupted a little bit of his sense of what's normal and you made it okay to speak up in that moment and anyone witnessing that would have. So I think sometimes it's as simple as that. And other times it's also when you're seeing something that you think could be fairly, just simply asking why, you know, I talk about this in the book a lot. So my husband had a colleague as well who was being considered for a senior role, but she was probably going to have a baby and and so her work kind of made this decision that she wouldn't be wouldn't be right she was planning on having a family and my husband just asked why so in the meeting he's like why and what that does is it forces the other person to kind of call out their own racism or sexism in the minute um and he did this and it was quite effective i mean she got promoted off the back of it because in digging through he was like well she might have a baby and so my husband's like yes but but why people can have a baby and be a leader <laughs> And so then that forced them to sort of adjust and it's uncomfortable in the moment. But I think the biggest difficulty is people don't want to lean into the discomfort. And I always say, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, you're doing the work. Like it's when we're sitting there and it's all comfortable and, you know, just your standard unconscious bias string and you, you know, it's my worst, always pick on it. But, you know, that that's not good enough. Like we need people to feel uncomfortable. And if you're feeling uncomfortable, wondering if you should take action, you're probably on the right path. So speak up. Yeah, that's really inspiring. Michelle, where can people find out more about you and your work and your book? And by the way, the, the name of the book again is uh, The Fix, Overcome the Invisible Barriers That Are Holding Women Back at Work. 
Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, the They can find more sort of information. I've got a website. We're redoing it, we're relaunching it in a week's time. There'll be instructional videos on there. There's a lot of content going to be posted on there. I've also got a podcast, a weekly podcast called The Fix. It's out every Monday. It's available where all podcasts are available. So, And on that, I actually try and tackle some of these topics um, in a much smaller format, sort of easily digestible, 15 minutes. And every week there's a fix. So there's something you can do and apply in your workplace. Um, but I would say outside of me, you know, there's a bunch of really good resources, amazing books and authors. Like, you know, for white women in particular, we've really got to start educating ourselves. So there are authors out there like Angela Davis, Bell Hooks, um, you know, more recent authors like Renieta Lodge. You've, you've got my favorite, Brittany Cooper, you know, women who are sharing their experiences as women of color. And I think irrespective of where you live, like this is a really important thing that, that we need to do, you know, really understanding those experiences because that's how we reach everybody. You know, when you cover account for race, you account for gender, you account for ability, you know, really educating yourselves on on some of those differences. So I think that's, I would encourage people to think outside of even me. I'm just a starting point. And in my book, you know, in the reference list, you can see all the different authors and journals that I reference. And I think that's a good point to, to pick up on. Michelle King, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. I definitely want to encourage you to pick up the book. It is very well written, a very enjoyable book, as well as, of course, inspiring and challenging. But lots of great stories, lots of practical advice. It's uh, very well researched. So get your hands on that. I don't think you'll regret it. And we'll provide the information and links that Michelle mentioned, including her website, her LinkedIn profile, Twitter profile, and all that. You can get that on our show notes, which is at our website, engagingleader.com forward slash 202 as an episode 202. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at WorkforceCommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, Jamie Barnes, Tom Hitchcock, and Jenny Kalenda from our social media team, JJ Leahy from our video and graphic design team, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Betsy Leahy, our sound and video editor. Until next time, remember, the people changing the world today aren't just leaders, they're engagers. engagers.